but it was still really exciting to see like another person with albinism in the wild, which is so crazy to like think, but I was like, yes, keep your composure. Don't be too <laughs> excited. This is absurd, but I was thrilled. You're listening to the Water Prairie Chronicles, a podcast that supports parents of children with disabilities by sharing the stories of individuals who have grown up with disabilities and the organizations available to help parents along the way. Stay connected with us by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment if you want to join in on the conversation. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Water Prairie Chronicles. Um, We appreciate you jumping in and joining us today. And today we have a new friend that we want you to meet, and her name is Marisol. I'm not sure if I'm saying it correct or not, but I'm going to have her correct it for me. <laughs> Would you like to to tell tell us a, a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah. So my name is Marisol. You said it beautifully. Um, and I'm here today because I have a son with albinism. He is three years old. Uh, and after having him really have a lot of passion for advocacy and just connection and network and Um, met Tanya uh, through social media, which has been a beautiful platform to connect with people and um, a space that I found a lot of comfort when we first got our diagnosis. And uh, after a lot of back and forth and delay, we are finally here and connecting. So happy to be here. Excellent. Thank you. I've really been looking forward to this one because our kids have very similar diagnoses, but we're going to find out a little bit more, more about that as we go. Um, now, you, you had mentioned that we met through social media. Can we share your Instagram with yes. our listeners? So this yes. is how I found her, actually, because we were connecting through some posts that were being made on albinism. And I don't remember now if I found you or if you found me. I think I found you first and reached out to you. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember at this point. But <laughs> yes, yes, we found each other for sure. So your Instagram is at Holding Sunshine, correct? Yes. Okay. And we will repeat that again at the end for anyone that hasn't done it. But if you have not followed her yet, I would, I would recommend that you go on to check out her site. She has some great information on Instagram advocating for children who have visual disabilities. And she provides a lot of good information that'll get you started. Um, but we're going to talk about some of that as well now. But um, so, so hang on before you go check out her Instagram so, so we can yeah. hear this. <laughs> so I want to start out with some of the early days. So, um, so Johnny is your son and he's your firstborn, correct? Yes. And, um, so when did you fi- first find out that he had albinism? So, um, we found out, I guess, a few months in technically with an actual, uh, diagnosis, or at least with a doctor, um, implying that he thought, uh, it might be albinism. Uh, Johnny was born, uh, blonde, full head of blonde hair, um, blue eyes. And, um, I'm, I am not Caucasian. (laughs) I don't know if that came across or not through the video, but, um, my husband is Caucasian, but he is, um, a quarter Portuguese and dark, darker features, green eyes, but like dark hair and just darker features. And he does have a brother who is blonde. And so we just thought like, Oh, like, genetics how crazy you know um and it was at six weeks that we noticed and maybe earlier but I was a first-time mom and didn't really know what I was looking at or looking for and he uh that's when we saw the nystagmus so the uncontrolled movement of the eyes and his move back and forth left to right and it was something that I noticed but I just chopped it up to baby's eyes which also do have erratic movement it is not um 
you know, just super stand out. Um, but my mom said something. Um, and of course, when your mother says something, you're like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hear it. Um, but, but I knew she was right and um, took him to the pediatrician who knew nothing. And that's a whole probably episode we could talk about um, <laughs> knew nothing. And immediately though, um, I mean, immediately in a, in an almost panicked way, got us into the pediatrician, the children's pediatrician that was within our network, um, called him right away to have us fit in, which made me more nervous than calm. Um, so when we did see him, he did a examination of some of the basics, um, ruling out some things like tumors within the eyes yeah. and things of that nature that you can just kind of quickly rule out. And he truly just finished his, he was so quiet also, by the way, just so quiet. And I was just holding my breath the whole time because I just wanted him to marry what he was thinking because I knew nothing and that right. was not what happened at all. Um, and then he just, you know, kind of put his little tools away and was just like, looked at my husband and myself and he's like, I really think we should consider genetic testing. I think it's a lot easier these days to do um, because I think your son does have albinism. Okay. And I, by looking at you and your husband and just, you know, how you look aesthetically and your son and the nystagmus, I think that um, that is, is, is his diagnosis, but I can't really be sure at this point by just examining his eyes and um, let's see if genetic testing is going to work out. So that happened around like the seven, eight week mark, but we didn't, you know, blood tests and right. all the things. We didn't get an official diagnosis until a few months later. That was pretty early though. Yes, it was early and you want to know what's really crazy and just really weird. And that's how, um, that's just how things are with a lot of this stuff. When I gave birth to my son, they had said the, the uh, labor and delivery nurse had said, oh, he's, he's bald, he's bald. And my husband and I looked at each other because we are very thick haired people. Mm -hmm. And if anything, bald was not a characteristic we thought our, our right. baby would have. Like, <laughs> And so when he came out, he was in fact a full head of hair that was blonde. It was just white, yeah. It was just, and people were like, oh. And so as she's cleaning up, you know, you're in a haze, you're holding a baby, they're about to take you to your room to get settled. And she said, I'm gonna look up albinism when I get home. Oh. And I looked, and she was so sweet. She was such a nice nurse. Um, but she did err on the side of being a little ditzy. I will say that. Is that rude? I don't have a better word for that. And I remember when we kind of got on our own, I told my husband, I was like, she's so nice, but ditzy. Albinism, what is she talking about? I am familiar with albinism. I have an aesthetic and skincare background, and that is okay. part of your education because it, it has to do with the skin. Right. And so I was aware of what albinism was, um, but as we have learned, you and I and, and many others, there's also various forms of expression of albinism mm -hmm. that I was not aware of. My thoughts on albinism were, were your pretty standard, probably your OCA right. ones, and um, white hair, you know, and yep. uh, not blonde, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I was like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's so smart, but she can't know what she's talking about, you know? <laughs> and so when, he, when the doctor said that, I, I just, that meet that memory immediately came to my forefront. And I honestly, regardless of diagnosis after and genetic testing, I felt comp like I felt very confident, like it felt right. Yeah. Um, once, you know, we 
we had that word and I was at least comforted in knowing it wasn't because maybe I changed my parents' cat sand once when I was pregnant right, and had toxoplasmosis. Right. And like, that's literally all the things that were running through my head in a panic pre-diagnosis. Now, I never had the question myself, but I had some very well-meaning people ask me those questions <laughs> if I had done any of those things that yeah. that had led to this outcome. <laughs> it's, yeah. And it is hard as a, as a young parent because you're already beating yourself up enough that whether you're feeding them right or having them sleep right, you know, and all these things to add more questions to it. So, so right. I, I applaud you for being able to, 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 to get past that. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it was a lot. And I think that, um, which again is a whole other podcast episode, the, the weight you carry postpartum of just intrusive thoughts that even mm -hmm. if they're the kind of thing that you manage well by having them come in and have them flow out, which would be your, um, I, well, I guess the first ideal would be not having them at all. The second would right. be kind of just being able to let them pass. And then, you know, your, your more common is that they, they just become kind of overwhelming. It was extremely difficult to balance that at that time as a new mom, uh, mm -hmm. breastfeeding, not working out. Like yeah. I thought it was going to he wasn't gaining weight initially all during these same times that he then has um, a diagnosis that was unknown at the time, right. but something else. And it was, it was overwhelming and looking back on it now, like, I don't really know how you get through it other than you just absolutely do. Yeah. You, <laughs> whether, you just, whether yeah. you want to or not, you, you do get through it. Yeah. We had the same thing with the feeding issues and Emily was losing so much weight and finally just put her straight on formula. Yeah. and and did a combination for as long as I could but but yeah. it was just you know it was it was going to be a life and death situation if we kept trying we we worked with the lactation consultants and um I remember them weighing her before and after going in each time and nothing would change on her weight right <laughs> it's like right. well you can only do so much if, if your body's not going to work, work work with you so with Christopher as the second one we had a better battle plan there so because we already knew what my body could or couldn't do so it made it and easier. also just um which I, I feel the same with the albinism diagnosis. I am I am pregnant now, so yeah. your listeners would not would not know, but will know now. Um, I am pregnant now, and I have the same feelings about uh, breastfeeding that I do with albinism. If it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it is less, much less worry. Although I think as a parent, I will always worry. So I do have that little bit of constant worry. Um, but just as far as like acutely worry about things that are very much outside of my control yeah. in those categories, um, I'm I'm so excited to to have a little of that less pressure. Good. I was pregnant with Christopher when we got Emily's diagnosis. And so um, oh. the genetics. So how long was that into? She was 18 months old when we got the diagnosis. It okay. took us that long to find a doctor that would give us more than, oh, she just happens to have, have a visual impairment and there's, there's no, there's no reason behind it. She, she just kind of by fluke got it. And it's like, I, I couldn't accept I, that answer. It's, I have I wanted to say name. it is luck of the draw. We were just assigned through our HMO plan for those listening in the United States, you know what that is. So uh, small network and referrals and we were just lucky that we had somebody that even had the wherewithal to consider um albinism That's as what an I'm option thinking. yeah and then secondarily to say hey i think genetics has really you know taken um 
a big turn as far as being a lot easier to do and, and more often approved. And so he submitted. And again, the American way, it's waiting for approval. And it came so quickly. And they were just like, approve for genetic testing. Wow. And I was shocked. And I also didn't question it because I was like, maybe they're wrong, but let's get this in right. and get this going before they change their mind. Because I don't even know if they can do that, but I feel like they can. <laughs> um, so it, you know, it, things things fell into place. And, and as we discuss further, I will say that not everything had worked out that easily. So I'm appreciative of that portion of it. Um, but right. things, you know, aren't always that easy. So, so when they did the genetic testing, did you find, um, did you and your husband have the same gene or different genes? So, uh, from, from my understanding, um, and we have um, an amazing geneticist that we work with who's quite well known here in Southern California. Um, her name is Dr. Raffle. And um, they did blood tests on us as well as our son. Right. And, and at that point, just to note, geneticists always want to do as much as they can. And I think as much as insurance will allow them to do, of mm -hmm. course, or what, you know. Um, and so there were some tests that they also wanted to run for just auxiliary, more information that insurance didn't approve. What oh. insurance did approve was um, a confirmation that there is a change in Johnny's OCA2 gene. Okay. There is a change in my husband's OCA2 gene. So he carries a change in that gene. I carry a change in the OCA2 gene. But the unique thing about mine is that mine is unknown. My husband's okay. is very known and very common. So uh, the change for albinism exists in many, 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 many people. It's actually quite common yes. to carry a change for albinism in one of the uh, many options of genes that you can have albinism in the so his was common and known and in the database which as far as I'm aware is a a um, U.S. database so there okay. are different databases in Europe and I believe in Canada as well and so those are separate right so it's known mine is not um, and that can be one of two things um, that can be that there just hasn't been enough people mm -hmm. with my change that have been um, collected and tested for albinism. Right. The second is it can be an anomaly. So in mm. genetics overall, you can have changes in a gene that have nothing to do with a genetic pass down. It can be a complete fluke and anomaly, okay. which is crazy to me to think that it could be an anomaly because if my husband had a change in his OCA1 gene, and I had a change in OCA2, we would not have children with albinism. Right, right. So the change had to be in the same. And so just for my husband and I to have met on Facebook 18 years ago <laughs> <laughs> and to have had a child that has a one in four chance of expressing with albinism mm -hmm. and to then have that child and then to know that there's just a lot of like woo-woo um, right. pieces that come together in my mind about that, aside from just like the science of it. Um, but that is what our change is. So okay. um, one in four chance of any of our children having albinism. So I was curious because it's been so many years between when we tested and when you tested, I was curious how much they may have learned in the time, but it sounds like you're getting the same thing that, 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 that we had back then. 
And they have, you know, it is, it isn't that common. So, so True. even though there's been a long uh, span of time, how many could there possibly right. have been? How many people have been added? How many people have been tested? And then the other piece to that is people aren't just being t- checked for albinism. If right. there's no, there, uh, it- essentially no child or no potential thought that they might have an expression right. of. So it's not, it's not growing, I would imagine, at that rapid of a pace. But I will say I, um, I love his geneticists and the team. Uh, and I still meet with them annually, which is a little bit unique, usually yeah. with a diagnosis that doesn't come with other health considerations as you continue on that are severe or anything like that. It was, it was just a choice, but I'm a great conversationalist and I love asking questions and I'm a really good time. Um, and so they're like, we'll meet with you every year. We love it. I love updating them on Johnny and they like to hear about that. So a couple of the things that they mentioned, which are unique to OCA two and maybe other, um, OCAs, I'm, I'm not sure because obviously I just got hyper-focused on, on right. the one that my son has. Um, OCA comes with the potential for darkening of the hair. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, he won't necessarily have brown hair, but his blonde hair will ebb and flow in darkness. Uh, the ability to have things like freckles uh, yeah. that are of a brown nature and mm-hmm. not pink. Um, and not to be concerned of those, although you do monitor those as far as, right. as you would with anyone. But it's he got like a brown um, lesion on his on his knee, you know, and, um, I wasn't worried because of the conversation I had with the geneticist. And when we Mm -hmm. took him to the dermatologist for his annual checkup, uh, that dermatologist was not super familiar with the nuances of albinism and the types. And what I loved, um, about him was that he then followed up, um, with an email a day later saying, I did some research on the type of nice. album, which is like all you want to hear. Like, it's all you want to hear. You can't know everything as a physician, but a little effort, please. Um, and said that his, um, it is not uncommon for him to have uh, an appearance of freckles that have a, a, a brown or even soft brown tone in nature, mm-hmm. which is what this was. And so he said that he would skip doing a biopsy at this time to not put Johnny through. He's like, in his lifetime, he will likely have biopsies and scrapings and right. all these we don't need to put him through that now if it's yeah. not necessary we will monitor for size and shape as an esthetician i'm extremely aware of what those are and and what to look for um so it wasn't of a concern um but those kind of things i learned from them which have actually played out to be very nice um and comforting and um and then also to to have discussions with them on how he's doing with his visual impairment because as you know it is unique per person. Visual impairment is not the same, no matter if you have the same exact diagnosis, no matter if you have the same exact visual acuity. So it is nice for them to hear kind of how he's doing and how he's progressing because they don't often get to get too much information Mm -hmm. um, after they've diagnosed somebody. So um, I still talk with them annually and I love to hear all about it. it, It's reminding me of um, when Emily was his age, I would take her in to have her glasses adjusted and they would bring everybody in the optician shop in to evaluate her because they never got a chance to see a child with such high myopia and um, the same thing when we would go into Boston Children's Hospital they would bring whoever was on staff in to examine her because this was the oddity that they didn't get to see in practice and they may see another child someday and so we we were fine with it as long as they were being 
you know, cur courteous to her. Considerate and con yeah. yeah. Um, is her myopia associated with albinism, or does she have a separate type I of myopia? I think it's a separate. They they've never said one way or the other, but she has extremely high myopia. And most of the children with albinism that we knew when she was in the play group in Boston, there were like 20 kids in that group that all had albinism, which is how we got the diagnosis because she was the only one that, quote, didn't have albinism. Right, right. <laughs> and we, and we, we switched, <laughs> switched her to their doctors. Because and she what was, is her type? Um, see, at that point, we do not know because that, that has oh. changed in the diagnosis. Um, we, know, we know the actual gene, and I can't remember what the strand is, but Steve and I and Emily all have an identical gene. So like, like you, one of us is carrying another one as well, and it just did not manifest within us. So, okay. um, so we passed it on, but it did not cause a problem. And the guess is that I'm the one that's carrying it because my eyes transilluminate and Steve's don't. Interesting. Okay. And that's, um, he has brown eyes, I have blue eyes. So a, a difference in that too. And I have the blonde fundus. Um, now, my son, Christopher, I was pregnant with him at the time, and they told us that if he ended up with two copies of that gene, his right. eyes would develop fine, but he would be very photophobic, and he would um, that would pretty much be it for him. His vision is still 2015 at 19, and he's as photophobic Ooh. as I am. <laughs> you know, it's like, though my eyes, I mean, I've got it like a negative three correction, so I don't have anywhere near what Emily has. <laughs> what is Emily's, if you don't mind she's sharing? She's about a negative 23, I think, right now. She's okay. actually going the other direction now at 21. Um, and that, when she goes into the doctor now, um, her low vision specialist makes comments like, when you have cataract surgery. Not right. if, but just when it happens. Um, right. This 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 is the lens that that we'll be able to put on, and that may help reduce the the Overall. strength of her glasses. Now, yeah. it won't stop the nystagmus. It won't, you know, it, it right. isn't going to all of a sudden put a fovea in the back of her eye, um, right. things like that. But um, and and you know, those are things that I never knew anything about until Emily. I've learned so much about vision, as as you you probably have too, <laughs> and it and it just continues. But there's things that you know, as, as a parent, um, I don't know if you've experienced it as we were watching her myopia increase through the years, we started worrying, is it going to end or does she have chronic myopia that would just go on and on and on until the eye just expands as much as it can. And, um, and so we're glad now that it is actually coming the other way a little bit. Well, that's the common age. So I, so I unfortunately have um, high myopia um, for okay. not having any additional conditions um, with my eyes. I have a negative 1075. Yeah, which um, is pretty high. Yeah. Which is pretty high. Um, again, considering I don't have other considerations for eye right. condition. And when I was young, I saw double until okay. I was seen in first grade by a, I went to private school and they had like an eye doctor come and do exams on the right. kids. And he immediately contacted my parents and said, you don't have to take her to me, but you need to take her to somebody. Good. And my parents, isn't this just the way, had, had brought up at times to our pediatrician, um, I feel like something's wrong with her eyes because I would, um, I would, 
cover one eye and and lean oh. like on my desk to like look at things and I was compensating for that's how right. I would see singular as a child um, but you I know. did not know no yeah. I did not know and and as we've learned with vision what your brain compensates for is phenomenal mm-hmm. um but anyway he I ended up I ended up seeing him and he was fantastic and I did eye therapy with him yep. and got into my prescription which slowly as I aged until my mid-20s then I flattened out Um, but I did progress with my myopia as I continued on um and I I don't see double anymore on on my own all by myself um and so I did those eye therapies and was really consistent with it and that was a big part of my childhood and actually um that story is important because when Johnny was diagnosed um and that fantastic doctor that said I think that's what this is I'm not even kidding you Tanya our next appointment with him, I got a phone call from the office that said he was no longer there. And we were just going to be auto assigned to the other doctor in the practice who oh, no. um, was a surgeon. And just surgeons are just a different mindset. Yeah. Like surgeons lean towards surgery all the time for everything, which is what they do. That's their wheelhouse. Right. But anywho, I was mortified um even more so to the fact that I couldn't get a hold of him I was like we'll switch and shirt you know whatever I just felt mm-hmm. such confidence they um I left a message for him at his new office and he never returned my call and I felt very like oh shit you know like yeah. I just felt super supported and now I feel like no one knows what they're talking about because no one did quite frankly and I um panicked and I I'm a resourceful person, if nothing else, and panic really gets me to be my most resourceful. And I went online, I found the name of my doctor for my childhood, and I found him. He's still practicing in Calabasas. Wow. And I emailed him at his website email address. <laughs> and I said, Hi, Dr. Simons. I don't know if you remember me. Uh, my name is Marisol. I gave him my full diagnosis, how he met me, what we would do, what he did. And he wrote back that night. and said, I absolutely remember you and your family. So good to hear from you. And I just asked him, I told him the situation and I'm just looking for who you would consider the best doctor to have experience with nystagmus and or albinism. Um, And he said, let me uh, converse with my colleagues and I will get back to you. And within a couple of days, he gave me the name of a doctor uh, located in Carlsbad. We live in Los Angeles. Uh, Carlsbad is about an hour and a half south at the tip of northern tip of San Diego to us. Um, we used to live there. So I was just like, not a problem. We know where to eat. We know where to go. (laughs) It's fine. We will take him there. And her son actually has nystagmus not associated with albinism, but he knew that she had experience with nystagmus and has had experience with others with albinism. Um, and so I just, there have been a handful of times it's going to make me emotional <laughs> um, that I have been very proud of myself for absolutely figuring it out when no one is really, you know, there are, there are foundations and there are organizations that can help um, and that do, and that I have come to learn after, but, but I don't know about you, but I, I 18 months in, you probably felt this as well. 
I just felt like time slipping and I knew that early intervention was so important. Oh, yeah. And so when they were like, oh, this is taking this long, this is taking this on. I'm like, time is ticking. Like, I need to get him in for an appointment. We need to figure mm-hmm. these things out. So it was really I was like, yes, like, yes, Google. And like, yes, remembering my doctor's name. Yes, and, even to think you know, of writing to him. <laughs> yeah. This is so interesting. It's like, I'm mean, looking at the notes here. It's like, we, we may not get to half of this. We, we may have to make this like a series over time to get everything in there. <laughs> well, because this is the first time I've talked to someone that has so many similar experiences with yeah. it too. And, yeah. um, and that is always so exciting. It, it is. I mean, yeah, it's been many years for me. Even though the kids that were in that play group all had albinism, it wasn't the same. They had what you had, you and I both had known from children what albinism meant. Well, I don't right. know about you. I didn't know the term albinism. I knew albino, but I didn't know albinism. So I've learned. Mm, I knew I've albinism. I did not know it was associated with visual impairment in any way. I did not at all. No. Uh, absolutely. And and there was a time after Emily's diagnosis that I would meet people who were obviously had albinism had albinism and yeah. then it was like you know what do you do you can't just go approach someone and say you know but i did oh my gosh I tanya did. i have i have i went up to a girl who uh, her parents um and i just said hey hi and i was holding johnny and i was at the aquarium and it was outside and it was hot and i was sweaty and i like I just i was like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it yeah and i ran up to them and i said uh, hi, hi, my name's Marisol. Uh, I'm, this is my son, Johnny. Um, and he has albinism. And I was wondering if your daughter has albinism as well, instead of saying, I know your daughter. Yeah. Has <laughs> I like really tried to like pose the question as opposed to being like really aggressive about it and, and letting them know that like we did too. So like, you know, right. Um, anyway, so they were super kind. We exchanged information um, and I shot them a text and I never heard from them and I let it go, yeah. you know, like I let it go, <laughs> but it was still really exciting to see like another person with albinism in the wild, which is so crazy to like think, but I was like, yes, keep your composure. Don't be too <laughs> excited. This is absurd. But I was thrilled. When so. we left Massachusetts, we went to Pennsylvania and there was, uh, Emily was involved with the, it wasn't a school for the blind or anything, but it was an organization there that, that serviced her a little bit. And then she was with the, she was in preschool by then so she was she was in the local school um it was a kind of a private setting but but some mm-hmm. of the, you know it, 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 each of the states i'm finding are set up differently on how how they yes. handle the kids once they turn three but um but through that organization we met another family who had a daughter who was about five years older than emily who had albinism and i've always tried to find someone that i could have in emily's life that was the next step ahead of her um, to help me by getting to know the parent and to see kind of what, what have they walked. And those experiences are what helped lead us to even start Water Prairie because we knew how valuable those friendships were. And we didn't get together with them much, but it gave Emily someone else that she could look at that she could relate to. Um, and again, it gave me a parent I could pick her brain <laughs> to know what's going on. You know, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. And I say this to say that... I tried to absorb as much as I could when he was first diagnosed. And I did that very much through social media because through Google, I found it to be overwhelming, right? It's a lot of, it's a lot of jargon. It's a lot of not positive jargon either. It's a lot of, um, 
it, I guess negative would be the best way. It, it was what your child will likely be without as opposed to what it yes. is they will do. Okay. Right. And I knew from pre-diagnosis and the rabbit hole I went through with that to not go down that route because regardless of the information I received, it wasn't going to be healthy for me. Mm. So that's when I turned to social media and I found two, three people, um, that I still speak with today. Um, and so that was great. And what I loved about that, it was the real life pieces. Most of them weren't sharing about specificities on your child's acuity, um, or things of that nature, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's why I don't really share a lot of that about with Johnny. It's sort of irrelevant. Um, it what's relevant is what the life he lives and and what he is doing. And so with that being said, I do find that, yes, I want to connect. I want to hear, I love the similarities that that we find and there are many. Right. Um, But what my child's life will be is not going to be what your child's life was or would be. Right. And so I think that learning that 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 was separate you know and learning that I wasn't going to find a roadmap from someone else's life and and who does right regardless of of impairment of any kind you can't compare yourself to others your journey is individual right. and your own and that was a big lesson for me that was a probably I would say that secondary layer of like shedding for me of like letting go of thinking that I was gonna find answers I mean to this day you and I both don't know and we'll never know what our child sees and yeah. how our child sees. Hardest thing to let go of. Like, I just, I just want to know, you know? A big, I... a big aha moment for me was, um, well, there, there were a couple of things. We had um, one doctor at the children's hospital show us how to use the equivalence of layers of um, plastic baggies uh-huh. to get an idea. Mm. But it's not the same, as you're saying. We won't know what they see. Someone else showed the example of, and it was actually um, a parent and child who had worked together to try to figure out what they were looking at. And what they came up with was the parent could see the equivalence of a glossy photo, and the child was able to see the equivalence of a newspaper printing that photo. Right. So the pixelated finish. Still not exactly what they're seeing. Right. But what all that put together for me was it doesn't really matter because what Emily sees of the world is, is her reference point of what the world is. She doesn't, she's not comparing it to my vision. She's comparing Correct. it to what she knows. She's only known. Exactly. And her brain fills in yes. a lot that she doesn't even know is not a part of what her eyes are seeing. Yep. Um, it's, it's been, and so like your daughter, um, my son has high myopia that is genetic from me. Okay. So he has high myopia as well as albinism and nystagmus and whatever comes from that. So the albinism and nystagmus portion cannot be repaired. It's also right. not degenerative. So it, right. it is what it is. It, exactly. The myopia part is can continue to progress and likely will. He um, is probably a negative eight, nine right now. His okay. glasses are about a negative four, five at this point point okay i believe <laughs> we are upgrading them my, my husband just took him to the doctor and i haven't even looked at the prescription but it's being upgraded and and it's being upgraded because his world is getting bigger and so as mm-hmm. his world gets bigger the his glasses will support that and then eventually he'll get to his 
you know, match to whatever it is he is. Right. So you do see a lot of people with albinism who don't wear glasses um, mm-hmm. or who do wear glasses, but you notice that their eyes just look very big in those glasses because those glasses are strictly to support magnification, to be right. able to see in, in detail a little bit better. Um, but Johnny has glasses that are for his myopia. Um, and I think that that confuses a lot of people when it comes to visual impairment and not knowing anything. I'm like, oh, well, he has glasses, so that must fix his right. vision. Yes. <laughs> um, and it just supports a portion. Um, and so I, I mean, you'll let yourself feel guilty about whatever you can feel guilty about. <laughs> like, like, yay. Like, um, my husband and I both equally gave him albinism, right. you know, <laughs> right. for like so tit for tat, like we're equal. Um, but I definitely gave him that high myopia. Um, so he would have likely had that regardless of his albinism. Um, and so that, that's always tough. Um, and as you have experienced with your daughter, that can actually get quite high as far as supporting it. Um, so I asked my doctor long ago, what's interesting is, um, high myopia also gives you a higher risk of retinal detachment and, uh, holes in the retina. I've had two, uh, right before being pregnant with Johnny, I had two peripheral, uh, small holes repaired in my retina. And when I found out that I had those, no side effects. I didn't know. Um, I'm just very routine with my examinations as mm-hmm. you should be. You should get your, you should get your eyes dilated regularly and yes. check the health of your eyes. Well, no actually I'm going to stop here for just a moment because I want to make sure anyone that's listening, even if their child does not have a known visual impairment, if they're still young, go see your doctor. Every child should have that eye exam. Um, before Absolutely. age three, I believe is the magic number on that. Definitely before five, but before three, yeah. because sometimes it's something that can be corrected through either a patching program or something like that if you start young enough. Yes, okay. absolutely. <laughs> and I think, no, and I think that a lot of people don't don't realize that, that no. just standard routine things are, are really important for your health. So I, of course, having not the standard, have continued <laughs> to have those. And I remember the fear I had of having a retinal detachment, what that meant. If I did, would I go blind? And I was Mm -hmm. filled with that fear. And then I also asked my doctor, how far can this go? You know, how long before you cannot correct my vision? And he said, oh, you have like a long way to go before, you know. Um, But what's just so interesting is this fear, you know, ended up manifesting itself somehow into a child that has a uh, true uh, visual impairment that cannot be repaired. Um, and you sort of let go of that fear, right? Yeah. Because then you're just like living with it. And I just think it's it's so crazy how life kind of works out. But um, I'm, I'm grateful for the experience that I did have with my own yes. self. And I think that's really helped me to support him. Um, and I also wear my, I used to avoid wearing my glasses. They're just like thick and heavy, mm-hmm. <laughs> even with the expensive ones. I, they use like literal space technology for your glasses to get them as thin as possible. Yes. Um, and so they're quite expensive. Um, and so I was super grateful when they stopped changing so much and I could stick with one prescription. That's helpful. Um, but I wear my glasses a lot more now around him just to normalize like yeah. wearing yep. glasses and, um, yes, the contacts so, are a thing of the past around here too. So. Yeah, which might be a possibility. Um, I don't know. It just all depends. But some people with albinism do wear contacts eventually yes, and or with nystagmus. Depending on where his um, correction goes, 
he he may very well be able to do contacts and nothing else yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, with so Emily, we'll she would have to do half and half, and she's decided it's not worth doing both if she's if she's gonna have to do it anyway. Yes. Same with me, uh, myself not being able to have. Um, what is it? Laser eyes. Yeah. Lasix. It's too, my retina would, it's too much cutting. Um, so they won't do it. It's too high risk. And, um, how I had considered, I'm like, well, can you cut like half of it? And so then my glasses would be like a five yeah, half, and then yeah. I wouldn't have the, um, but yeah, it's not really as simple as that no. or, um, or as easy. So, yeah. So yeah, so we, um, I had forgotten about those changing the glasses every every six, six months, really. We did that mm -hmm. for years and um, and how, how much money went into those glasses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I know that it's a challenge for people and by no means are we um, in any exceptional financial situation, but I will say um, I'll do whatever it takes to get him those glasses. The uh, I pay extra for the anti-glare. Yes. I pay extra for, um, you know, we I pay for a pair that are sunglasses that are prescription and I pay for a pair that are standard because um, I want his eyes protected. You know, we even have the protection for clear coat for UV, um, mm -hmm. just as much protection as possible. Um, it's you, a challenge, but. Have you always been able to get sunglasses for him? So, uh, this last two pairs he started at like a negative two three with his glasses and then this last pair upgraded to like a four five um he has prisms to help align for his um null point which helps him right. a bit um and he does have strabismus where um an eye turns in except that he has alternating and intermittent strabismus so okay. rather than be fixed and be turned all the time it isn't always and um so with that being said, his glasses have all these like little nuanced things right. in them. And when you add tint, it in the glass lens creation process adds like a whole opportunity for a distortion to the, yeah. to the, all the other things they added. So this last go around was a challenge to get the sunglasses. And it's not that they cannot, but it took numerous uh, rounds of making them to mm -hmm. um, have the air of distortion be as minimal as possible. Right. Um, and so right now he does. There are glasses I've seen that now have like standard as a clip on yes. to be able to put, which sounds like it would probably be better, but we're still in the, the gummy um, lens stage. I don't right. trust <laughs> my rambunctious three-year-old with uh, lenses that could snap. So we had, we had metal frames from the beginning okay. and ended up, um, they had these little Disney ones that, I mean, they were tiny, tiny little things. And, um, and of course they can't make a glass sunglass for an, a child. And so we found, um, there was a sunglasses manufacturer near the town where we lived and took her in there at eight, eight or nine months of age. And they custom made a pair of clip-on that would go on the outside of her glasses. Mm, so they were clipped. So her glasses protected her eye, but these attached to the outside of the glass. And, um, and so those we used with a hat for probably, we had to have those made a couple times to keep fitting. Um, and they, they weren't the easiest to get on and off of them without trying, without scratching it or anything, but it gave her something. Mm -hmm. But she was she was a negative eleven at eight weeks, right? I think so. She was already past the sunglasses option. 
where there was no tent left in the in the mm -hmm. lens. Mm -hmm. That's changed because the higher compressed block they have now. Right. But she's still beyond what they can do. So she's always right been just now. Yeah, she what continues they can do at the time. to just <laughs> excel and exceed. Right. That's what she does. <laughs> in in elementary school, we put her in um, rec specs for PE classes. Uh -huh. And so until she was a negative 14, we could do that. At negative 14, they popped out all the time. Right. And so they were no longer, they were actually a danger then instead of a protection. And so she did separate PE after that and would do more of an adaptive PE program. Um, but until then she was in with her peers. They just would keep her out of any ball throwing, things like that because of the risk of the retinal detachment. And yeah. um, so she's always had these modifications. And, you know, as a mom, I've always thought, you know, am I doing my har more harm by keeping her out of the danger <laughs> or should I have, you know, or, or am I helping her more by keeping her out or should I have thrown her back in there? So we did some other things like she was in swimming, she was in karate. Yeah. Um, I've, and, I've, it's so funny. I've considered, you know, I thought of that one, whether my, this is just a personal thing, whether my child had a, uh, an impairment or not, or, or concerns with retinal detachment, I would not be putting my child in any high contact sport. Yeah. Um, so he would never have probably much to his father's dismay, um, played football <laughs> or anything like that. I wouldn't. So I, football was the one that we drew the line at. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not okay happen. with that. Um, but with that being said, I was a swimmer and I'm like, it's real indiv individual. <laughs> uh, you don't actually really need to see much to, yeah, well, and to there's be ways, successful. Because <laughs> they're swimming without um, their glasses on. The goggles can all be corrected, I think, to a negative nine. Um, mm. And so there are limitations in how much vision they'll have. Now, even a negative nine, though, helps in the pool. you know. But Emily found that with the high myopia, the water magnifies. So she, she would be okay. looking for yeah. her friends, and you'd see her swimming, and then she would go under and then back up. She was looking so she for her friends them. under the water <laughs> to yeah. find them. Yeah. So there, there, are, there, so there are things they're going to learn as they go that, that, yeah. that, that, that work. Um, yeah. And we tried for relays because at night was when they would have the swim meets in the summertime and relays. We tried tapping her in so she'd know when they tagged the wall. Um, but she decided she would just she she was never in the top relay group that was really competitive. So so she was like, no, I'm fine. I'll just go when, whenever someone 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 yells at me. Yeah, <laughs> so she was she was more she was more of an exhibitionist in her yeah. swim meets, <laughs> or an individual uh, swimmer in, right. as opposed to a relay. And yeah, diving never team. happened. Yeah. And part of it was I think she recognized that hitting the water was a danger for her, and mm. so diving off the block just because it was such a high correction already by the time she was learning yeah. to dive. And we tried doing the the egg roll into the water, you know, things that were not going to have any impact on her at all. Right. <laughs> but I think there was just that fear that made her hesitate. And it, and it may have been a, an, an, an inner protection for herself that she right. wasn't wasn't putting herself in that situation. Um, but in spite of that, she had fun with it. She she swam for years and years with her friends. And um, yeah, was, not everything has you know? to be, nor is it a uh, you know competitive in your lifelong career, right? right? And, and it was summer swim every year, so it was yeah. it was just fun. It was instead of going yeah. to camp, she 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 swam on the swim team. So absolutely, yeah. So it was fun. The all right, so we've gotten so far off of where I was going with this. Let's, <laughs> let's see if we've gone. I think we've covered a lot of it though. Um, with that.
One of the things I did want to ask you about um, when Johnny was a baby, did he hold things close to him or did he just touch them? What did he, what did he show as far as how much vision he was using? Um, so yes, he would pull things close. That, that's really his, his thing. Yeah. <laughs> even, even now how his, how he sees how that has played out has been more bringing things close. Um, he did that as a baby. He didn't have any, um, hindrance to his milestones he hit all those appropriately mm -hmm. uh, that can vary depending on what's going on with your visual impairment in particular with nystagmus yep. um and a lot of kiddos have an unease of their kind of body and and aware awareness of their surroundings uh he did not have that we also were very confused initially and i've heard other parents say this um because he seemed to see everything and was able to know everything was around and also find the tiniest crumb. Yep. Crumbs were like the big thing. I'm like, I don't understand how you saw that. <laughs> like, I can't even see that, you know? Emily's um, better at explaining it to me now, but, um, but we, my, my parents had the hardest time accepting it because she would run through the house and dodge all the things. And they're like, there's now no I way always, she's not seeing it. <laughs> I always assumed that within the home it was his learned environment and so he navigates that very easily mm -hmm. there have been some things when he was uh, mobile and then a little bit older where i know it's a new space and i know that if i don't tell him and and you know there's uh, i don't know about you but it was really hard for me not to be like stare or like yeah. say something or like <laughs> be there i'm not just gonna let him biff it off the side right, exactly curiosity <laughs> if he, he sees that well or not um, we did have has, a couple spills later when I started pulling back and it's like, no, we, yeah. we still need, need, need to do that. He did, um, about a year ago, we took him to, um, that Van Gogh exhibit that's been going around. Oh, we, and we just went to that. Yeah. It was, that was fantastic. Um, and great for him. And I was like, everything should be like yeah. this, you know, but, um, <laughs> the floor there was this floor and it was um circular and it had a circle in the center it had an outer ring it had a third and a fourth ring so it was okay. like different flooring different color like marble-esque i don't know what material mm -hmm. it was but you know flooring it looked like marble um and i noticed that he was running and one went from like light to dark and he stopped and he tapped his foot on the next color uh and then made sure it was not a hole i assume is what he was thinking right. and then he carried on that's not something we taught him. Um, mm -hmm. That's some OT stuff that he just instinctually did on his own. And that made me feel really good. I will say my bigger concerns and what I couldn't have known of him as a child and how he behaved to what I know now are when his world gets big, when the world is full size, because as a baby, it's not. And right. yes, his, his visual impairment didn't really impact his babyness aside mm -hmm. from pulling things very close to him um, to look. And um, that's about it. Um, the concerns I have now that his world is bigger is that I know he doesn't see, um, he doesn't recognize faces past five feet. Right. If I'm perfectly still on the couch when he walks in from our living room from the front door and I don't say anything, he doesn't know I'm home. 
Um, He would have to get a lot closer to know that I'm there. Mm -hmm. Um, Those sorts of things have started to become more apparent. And I think are more where we with him are going to be kind of focused on supporting him. Mm-hmm. Um, because as a baby, I will say it, it was a little confusing um, to really understand what he saw or didn't see because it all seemed to be pretty standard. A big thing that I always worried when Emily was, was his age and a little bit older even was that not recognizing faces. And as a mother of a daughter, I kept thinking, you know, women are so insecure to begin with. Whenever we walk into a strange group, we're looking to see, are we accepted? Is someone smiling at us or are they scowling at us? And it's a whole different feeling if you don't see a smile. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really hard to walk past that barrier of not feeling like you're being accepted. And of course, she she was just a toddler, and I'm already worried about when she's an adult. But <laughs> but but I recognize that that you know guys guys can be just as insecure. But but I I, I can re- relate to her being a girl, um, and I always worried about that. You know the the teen years. How is she going to navigate that? Is she going to have friends? Is she going to get out there? Mm-hmm. And what I noticed with her was, and this may just have been what her personality was going to be anyway, or maybe it became that because of the visual impairment. She assumes that she's accepted when she goes into any group and I thought you know I wish I had that confidence Mm. (laughs) because I did not have that when I was her age yeah but um but she knows it's not always going to be the case but pretty much you've got to prove to her that you don't want her there before she's going to assume that she's not wanted and um yeah the social cues are are different it's funny that you say that because I um obviously and fully corrected so I can see right 2020 although I don't really feel like it's fully 2020 sometimes (laughs) but you know mostly 2020 mine comes Um, and goes on that yeah um sometimes it's just a dirty lens right and it's um (laughs) but my personality is that I don't assume that there is that that I've started off in a negative in a deficit which is Um, good but there are continual social cues that exist um, that unfold a story that somebody with visual impairment may not see. They also may not even think to care right. about it. There's a little bit of a blessing in that, I, I think. Um, yeah. Or, um, which I'm sure we'll get to uh, at, with Johnny's acting, um, Blake Stanick uh, right. is the actor that Johnny played, the younger version of Jack Jr. on This Is Us. And I had a couple conversations with him most recently uh, after filming. Actually, we never ran into him during filming because they weren't alive at the same time. Oh, Um, Oh, true. (laughs) But (laughs) um, the interesting thing he said was that he would just scare uh, the daylights out of his mom because he could not see danger. Oh, right. So he would play in, I think it was like his backyard, which I think was like, I don't know where he lived. It was not where we live in the city it was like more rural and just like land and playing in like some sort of forest like situation and he would just be swinging from things and moving along because (laughs) he wasn't feeling that but it gave him a confidence in his body and his movement that fear would have restricted you know right Uh, or she said he said that she put him in dance as a kid so that he would be more comfortable with the movement Just with of movement, right. his body and confidence um his visual impairment diagnosis is different um but mm-hmm. it still um 
was just such an interesting point of view to hear. And I think that with, with Johnny as well, they're just like, he doesn't know what to be um, cautious or afraid of at this point. And I do feel like parents instill that for better or for worse um, sometimes. And so I do try to be like um, having him be too, he's better now. I don't worry about it so much now, but when he first started playing on jungle gyms at parks, Yep. Um, they have an obscene amount of openings <laughs> um, <laughs> just off the side. No no warning, no line of demarcation. It's just like, and I just was very scared that he would just not stop and just go right off the side. And I think he actually probably might have, um, but we would stop it, obviously. And I see people with these one-and-a-half-year-olds and the parents <laughs> are nowhere to be yeah. seen, really. <laughs> And they're just letting, because their kid can see that that's off the side and we hover and (laughs) I just don't understand. It's still hard for me to comprehend or kids running ahead of their parents. Yeah. And I'm just like. There's a lot of trust to that child's going to stop before they get to the curb or, you know. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I, I, don't I, I did not let my son do that either. And he was able to see. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, listen, there's all sorts of levels of, of <laughs> parenting. Um, but um, I just don't, I just don't understand that world. I do know that there's things to be kind of cautious about, but also I don't want to put my fear in right. my child. So yeah. Um, parenting has been a big lesson in, in when to intervene and when to let it go. And I think I'm still very much learning that. When you're, you know, you're just a few years into this too. So, yeah. so he, he's going to teach really? you Really? Cause it feels like a lifetime. <laughs> it, it, well, it is, it is one lifetime. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, um, has he ever had any trouble with, um, or maybe he hasn't gone in one, but the slides that are like the tunnels, does he do all right in tunnels? Yeah. Okay. See, Emily, Emily had a hard time with that because it just shut off what she had. And, um, and I think the echo part, cause she, she has this gifted ear where she's, Mm -hmm. she, she can hear Johnny as well. (laughs) Um, but, um, but I think just the echo on there, I think she uses echolocation some as well. Mm -hmm. And that kind of interfered with it. And at the time I didn't know that's what was happening, but now she can tell me that she's using it as she's going. Right. And, um, and she doesn't have to rely on that. She's able to see but the details are missing and navigation sometimes, especially on her college campus after dark, um, even if she's using her cane, she still needs a little bit more to to know yeah. that where she is and how she's navigating. Um, yeah. So I was just curious if he had, how much of that was the hearing. Join us next time for the rest of this interview with Marisol and hear more of Johnny Kincaid's story and how he became Baby Jack in the This Is Us series on NBC. Leave a review about the podcast to make it easier for others to find it. And thanks for your support. This podcast is made possible by support from our listeners. We want to give a shout out to our superfan, Ravine S. If you want to help offset the cost of producing the Water Prairie Chronicles, become a supporter at buymeacoffee.com slash waterprairie. You've been listening to the Water Prairie Chronicles. Any resources mentioned during this episode will be posted in the description. If you're interested in joining us as a guest, contact us through the links in the description below. Be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. We appreciate your support as we build this resource. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week for a new episode.